We are a few weeks now into the, a series called The Jesus Stories, and uh, uh, we've been, uh, I'm not going to do a full recap, there's too much now, you need to go into the, the video cast or the podcast to catch up, but hopefully this, uh, this talk in itself will stand alone and make some sense. But we have said in this that as, as, as Luke, the author of Luke's gospel or, or account, uh, has uh, told the story, there's a subtext, and the subtext is this, who is Jesus? He is inviting us to engage with, with uh, an investigation. He's telling stories, but they're specifically designed to, to uh, draw out this question, an inquiring heart you know, in us, who is Jesus? And what we've said thus far is that we've said that Jesus is Lord over evil, Jesus is Lord over sin, over creation, over sickness, Last week, we heard that Jesus is Lord over death, and that's a biggie. You know, he sort of transitions from, from being a great teacher, wonder worker, of which, you know, there are many. He tra- that, that, you know, once he starts forgiving sins and raising the dead, suddenly we're in a completely different zone. So that's where we got to last week. And I want to pick up the, the story, as it were. We're going to be looking at a few... Uh, texts this morning, but I want to pick up the story uh, in Luke chapter 9, where uh, the disciples begin to start asking that question themselves, uh, you know, and it, it's preempted by Jesus challenging them. So let's pick it up, Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 18, lovely little passage here. So it says here, you know, they're on a journey and they're kind of uh, thinking about, you know, they're just chatting as you do on long journeys. And suddenly, you know, Jesus turns to them. It says here, verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, he said, who do the crowds say I am? Who is Jesus? Who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. You know, we're beginning to think about death to life and life to death and all this kind of stuff. And then Jesus says to them, but what about you? He said, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Maybe Jesus is asking you that, this, this question this morning. Who do you say that I am? doesn't matter what Chris Lane says, or anyone else for that matter. The big question is, who do you say Jesus is? Now Peter pipes up and he says, and it's a brief answer in Luke I'll let you read some of the other accounts of Jesus, you know, John, uh, uh, sorry, Matthew and Mark, where there's a bit of an interaction there which we could spend time on. But actually what Peter says is, and it's very brief in in the NIV, it says, Peter answered God's Messiah. I remember how a few weeks ago I said, you know, the Messiah was this, was this, it wasn't a mythical character. The Messiah was somebody who the Jews were waiting for, who was going to be a great deliverer. He was going to be sort of in the, in, in the mold of, of King David. Many of you will know that he started off as a shepherd boy, but he ended up as, as one of the most, uh, uh, inc- most amazing kings of Israel. The second king, but in his time, they, great victories were won, and Israel really began to become established in the, the land that God had given them. Many stories there, all in the book, you know, enjoy. And the Messiah was going to be Somebody in the same mold. This was what people were looking for. Great warrior, great king. Yes, with, with, with very, you know, very human failings as well, but somebody whose heart was after God. The Messiah. 
And so when Peter says, in answer to that question, you know, to Jesus, you are God's Messiah, that is huge, absolutely huge. Now, you know, I, I, I'm not going to extrapolate that some more. There's more we could say there, and you can do some research yourself. So we're, we're there. Now, what's interesting then is the moment in, in Luke's gospel, the moment that, that Peter says that, Jesus goes on in Luke's gospel. And he says this, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Isn't that interesting? Once again, he's trying to keep it down, keep it under the radar as much as he can because there's stuff he needs to do and he can't do it if he can't even move freely. So he asked them to keep that to themselves. And then he says this, verse 22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Now Jesus, at this point, you know, he's brought the disciples along to this, this point in time on their spiritual journey. They've been journeying physically. But now they're beginning to move beyond great wonder work. If we stick around long enough, we might end up all rich and famous. You know, they've moved beyond that. They're beginning to get it that Jesus is not just any old wonder-working preacher-teacher. And so they, the moment they say the Messiah, a whole kind of load of stuff comes tumbling in, the Davidic stories. And straight away, Jesus wants to recalibrate that. And what he says is, and you know, once again, his favorite title for himself was Son of Man. It's a reference to prophetic words in Daniel. He said, the Son of Man's gonna have to suffer. The Son of Man is gonna suffer and he's going to be persecuted, and he's going to be this, and he's going to be that, and ultimately he's going to be crucified, or he's going to, he's going to die. He doesn't actually say crucified at that point. Uh, but he will, be, he will rise from the dead. Now, there's no, there's no real sort of comment at that point, but in Luke's account, Matthew has three of these kind of pre-crucifixion uh, accounts, you know, foretellings of his death and resurrection. There's only two in uh, in Luke's gospel, and, and let's just sort of flip on to that. Luke 18, if you're following in, on your smart devices or in your Bible, or it'll come up on the screen, you know, the Christ must suffer. Luke 18, we have another, whoops, another one of these foretellings of Jesus's forthcoming death. Verse 31 in, in chapter 18, Jesus says this, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem now. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man. Excuse me, just got to have a quick call. Um, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. And he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and insult him and spit on him. And they will flog him and kill him. But on the third day he will rise again. In verse 34, we get a little bit of a commentary about the disciples' reaction, which is where it's getting interesting. It's like you can imagine them saying, is he on about that again? I thought that was just a black day, you know, but, you know, it's a black dog day. Got up that morning, was feeling a bit depressed, but oh my gosh, he's on about this thing again. Verse 34, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. What? But everybody loves you, Jesus. What's the matter with you? So that's where we're getting these foretellings 
not just of Jesus' death, but the fact that he's going to rise from the dead. We said last week, he's Lord over death. Okay, let's press on. Now, one of the difficulties, as I've already said, was their preconceived idea what the Messiah would mean. You know that lovely song that we're singing at the moment? You know, I will, I will rejoice in a simple gospel. One of the lines is there, I'm, taking, you know, I'm repenting of my religion, I'm taking God out of a box. You see, and that's one of the great challenges for us. You know, we can look at the disciples with the benefit of 2020 vision hindsight and say, oh, the silly idiots, you know. But the truth is, we all do that. We all put God in a box. You know, uh, speaking for myself, when I first became cry, uh, a follower of Jesus, uh, Jesus was going to bless my family and give me good business leads and find me parking spaces. <laughs> that was my God. Unfortunately, he wasn't a kind of Cornish pixie or something like that, a little lucky rabbit's tail or something like that. God is God and he has his own agenda, so I found out. <laughs> here I am up here, you know. God has his own agenda, and, but that's okay with him. He, he knows how we come to him. A child comes to uh, an adult or a parent in a particular way. And that's fine. That re- there's nothing wrong about that. If that's where you're at, there's nothing wrong with it. Enjoy it. Enjoy the parking spaces that you're getting instead of me. You know. <laughs> Just enjoy it. But as we go on in Christ, we, start, we begin to grow up and we begin to see who he is as we can handle it and as we can take it. And we, 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 we realize that we're actually called to an eternal venture. And in this life, we're called to make sacrifices for the sake of the gospel and one another. As I've said many times, and I said it in Nottingham yesterday, this gospel, this good news, this faith, this religion will inconvenience you. And if it isn't, you're probably not trying hard enough. It's going to inconvenience you. Jesus said, unless you take up your cross yourself and follow me, you are not worthy. Now, that may be bad news if you've just become a Christian. Listen, don't worry about it. Enjoy, enjoy the ride. Enjoy it. Please nod enthusiastically. <laughs> it's a blast, really. So that's where we're up to. Their problem was that they had God in a box. God in a box. They, were, they knew the scriptures. They'd been trained in the scriptures since their earliest of days, uh, but they, they were blind to various parts of Scripture that didn't suit them. So, I mean, for example, and we haven't got a lot of time to spend on this, but if you turn back with me into Isaiah's, uh, in the Old Testament, that's sort of around about the middle of your Bible, I would say, Isaiah 53, this is a prophetic word hundreds of years before Jesus is born about the Messiah, and Jesus is the Messiah, and uh, what does it say in Isaiah 53? Uh, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This Messiah grew up before us like a tender shoot and like a root of dry ground of our own people. But there was nothing beautiful, no majesty about him. Verse 5, skipping on, it says, And he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our sins, our iniquities. What, you mean the Messiah? It must be somebody else, surely. No, the Messiah. You see, what the Jewish people wanted to believe then and what we want to believe about God is that he'll just come as a rescuer and God rescues me every day, truly does. Still one of my favorite prayers, Lord, just rescue me. Sometimes it's rescue me from myself, you know. I'm, I'm a danger to myself, let alone anybody else. 
But there's other bits where we kind of go, na, 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 na. But the Messiah, you see, and that's, it was said of him that he would, he would die for his people. And not just die, he would die you know, in such a way that their sins, the punishment we deserve, was laid on them. And as it says in the scriptures, he, was like a la- he would be like a lamb to the slaughter. A lamb to the slaughter. A little innocent lamb, you know, skipping around, not knowing that round the corner was a butcher sharpening his blade. All innocence and all the rest of it. Like a lamb to the slaughter, the Messiah went to his death that we might have life. Okay, so that's, that's what Jesus' agenda is. That's what he knows is going to happen. The disciples are on a steep learning curve. That, believe it or not, is, 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 is almost introduction. But the meat of what I want to say is going to have take less time than that. Lord, just help me with this. So as we know, Jesus, long story, went to the cross. He died upon that cross... He was an innocent man. He was foully ill-treated. And he ended up dying on the cross at Calvary. Two, two other criminals, one on either side of him. And then Luke 23, skipping on in Luke's gospel. So if you've got your Bible with you, your smart device, and we'll shove it up on the screen. Gives us the sort of culmination of that. Luke 23, let's see if I can find it here. I'm going to read it to you. Luke 23, beginning at verse 44. Jesus is on the cross. His disciples are... Uh, are all over the place. Some have hung around, some have scattered. It's complete disarray. You know, in, in, in hours, it seems, the whole thing has fallen apart. The whole mission of Jesus, you know, the campaign, rather like you know, Hillary Clinton must be feeling this week, months and months and months of expense and travel and all the rest, and suddenly, I bet she's still pinching herself. She can't believe it's actually like, What? And so all those who were rooting for Jesus were going, what? Because there's Jesus on the cross at Calvary, bleeding to death. Verse 44, it was now about noon. This is, sorry, uh, Luke 23, verse 44. It was now about noon, and the darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That, of course, was the temple that separated the Holy of Holies the place where no one could go except one priest once a year, and he was chosen by lottery. The Holy of Holies, the curtain, this great, thick, heavy, probably dust-ridden, to be honest, tapestry that separated the inner sanctum from the rest was torn in two. Wonderful symbolism there of the barrier between God, who is holy, and us being ripped apart irreparably damaged, never to be replaced, so that nothing impedes our our progress into his presence. The curtain is torn in two. In verse 46, it says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his laugh. Jesus dies. End of story? No. Jesus is Lord over death. Say that with me. Jesus is Lord over death. And again, Jesus is Lord over death. So then, let's skip on, let's stay in the scriptures. Same chapter, 
Uh, sorry, uh, chapter 24, I beg your pardon, that was chapter 23, we're in there. Chapter 24, verse 36. Yeah. Is that where I want to be? No, 24 verses 1 to 8. That's where I want to be. Chapter 24, Luke's Gospel, verses 1 to 8. On the first day of the week, Sunday if you will, Jesus has died, he's been taken off the cross, he's been buried hastily in actually a rich man's grave, a hewn rock stone cave thing. Uh, a kind of a supporter, a well-wisher, had gifted this rich man's tomb, a very expensive tomb, and he was hurriedly placed in that. Verse 1 then, chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. This was to sort of finish off the burial rites. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? What? Excuse me? They found the stone rolled away, great big stone, and where's Jesus? And while they're wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Whoa, what a question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you when he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. They can hardly believe what they're hearing can it be true? They're full of, you know, this was not the reality that they were expecting when they woke up that morning. Just as Hillary Clinton's waking up that morning, it was not her reality. This was not their reality. This was a huge shock. But as they kind of clutch at straws and try and work out what has happened, suddenly these two angelic beings appear and say, he is not here, he is risen, Lord over death. Lovely, I love the way that, that Luke describes this. We'll read one more of these uh, uh, you know, first day appearances. Uh, Luke 24, 36 to 43. While they were still talking, this is the disciples now, they've heard the news, uh, there's, Jesus has spoken to Mary and there's various things, there's kind of rumors flying around and they gather together and they, they've locked the doors because they're wondering, they're waiting for the sort of sound of, you know, soldiers' feet on the steps and rattling at the door. They're, they're expecting to be arrested. And so they're talking about this. You know, what, what on earth is going on? What, what has happened? You know, what do you know? What did you hear? What did you say you saw? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. While they were talking about this, verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Whoa! Can you imagine it? I bet he had a twinkle in his eye. I mean, you've got to really, haven't you, you know? Because you know it's going to freak them out. Peace be with you. And I love the commentary here. They was, it's so real. They were startled, yep, and frightened, 
thinking they saw a ghost. Well, you would, wouldn't you? I love it. They're not saying, oh, yeah, of course, Isaiah prophesied that this was going to happen. We always expect, welcome, Jesus, do take a seat. You know, <laughs> you know? Nobody was sort of saying, yeah, well, I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. It was like, wow! They were startled and frightened, terrified, thinking they were seeing a ghost. But Jesus knows our hearts. He knows what we're like. He knew what they were like. He knew what they were thinking. Verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Isn't that lovely? There were doubts there. There were doubts. Look at my hands and my feet. Yeah, he's got the nail imprints there. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. I wonder how many rushed forward to touch him. Hmm. I wonder. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? What? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. Can you imagine that? Jesus picks it up. And they're all going. Gulp. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. You know, if you've just done the Alpha course a few weeks ago, you will know that there is a whole session on the resurrection and proofs of Jesus being alive. You know, things about who moved the stone. Things about the grave clothes collapsing as if what was in them was sort of just sucked out. There's a whole loads of theological and philosophical debates about that. Do you know one of the things that I have myself always found, and it may not work for you, but I'll share what worked for me, always found the most convincing, was that something happened to these guys post-Jesus' death that turned a load of blokes and women too who thought they were seeing ghosts into an army of people that changed the face of the known world then and were willing, and this is the thing that really gets me, willing to die for it. You know, all these disciples died a martyr's death. And the question I ask myself is, if you were just kidding along, if you were just saying, if you were just sort of you know, cynically saying, well, Jesus was such a great, you know, great teacher, maybe we can publish his memoirs and maybe we can sort of you know, keep it alive and maybe we can have a sort of a, you know, a club for, for followers of Jesus and we can all have a reunion once a year and we can sort of, you know, it's a little money spinning, we can make some sort of bobbling Jesus head souvenirs and stuff like that, you know, we can really make this work for us. No, no, it wasn't like that at all. Something galvanized these guys. Something absolutely extraordinary so that they were willing to die themselves for the truth of it. If it was a lie, there would have been, you know, there would, been, would have been torture room confessions 
No, 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 sorry, it was just a big joke. It was actually a big scam, you know, it was Peter's idea. No, it was actually, and Peter would say, it was not my idea, it was your idea, James, etc. Yeah, no, we were just trying to make a bit of money, you know, you know, we'd given up a lot. There was none of that. These guys went to the lions, went to the cross. Luke was, well, Luke was, uh, was he shot in the back? No, that was Thomas who was shot in the back with arrows and stuff like this. You know, these guys died the death. Would you die a death for a lie, something you knew to be a lie? A conspiracy, would you? No. To a man, to a woman, they died terrible deaths to establish the freedoms that we today enjoy because they were absolutely convinced beyond all shadow of a doubt that Jesus is Lord and alive. Amen. Let's have the band up. Uh, let's just pray. Could you please stand? You know, I said right at the beginning that I wanted all of us, including myself, our, our, our uh, agenda, if you will, is that we all have a greater real revelation and understanding of who Jesus is. That we go beyond Jesus the comforter and helper, and I need Jesus the comforter and helper and provider of parking spaces, I truly do. But that we go beyond that to Jesus is Lord. Because if, if Jesus isn't Lord, well then we can keep him in this box we call church. But if Jesus is Lord, wherever you are in the community, at work, at the school gate, wherever, he is Lord there too. And that is going to impact you and affect you and give you a whole different way of doing life because you will know, and you do know, God bless you, that if Jesus is Lord over all, nothing is hidden from him. It's not just an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It's what we do out there. And it's as we witness in our life and our work to him being Lord in our lives and Lord over everything that we find ourselves really beginning to gain some traction in this thing we call the kingdom of God. Bless you. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to um, help me. I, I said I would do my best and I've done my best. I pray, Lord Holy Spirit, that you will write this on our hearts, that you'd open our eyes. Lord, if we're blind, if we've got you in some kind of a box, some whatever that might mean, just pray that you break that off us, that you would, be, you would be who you are to us, and that, Lord God, we would find ourselves living and moving and having our being in the presence and under the watchful and loving eye of the living God. And everyone said, Amen.